This episode is about minutes six through 10 of The Rise of Skywalker with returning guest, Claudia Aminabar. Hello there, and welcome to Star Wars Music Minute, where we celebrate the music and sound of Star Wars five cinematic minutes at a time. I'm Chrysanthi Tan, feel free to call me Xanthi, and today is all about minutes six through 10 of Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker. In this excerpt of the film, we start with Sheev, sorry, um, Sidious, sorry, uh, cloaked figure, telling Kylo that uh, the dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. So Palpatine has like a little chat with Kylo Ren on Exegol. And then we cut to Poe and Finn playing a losing game of Dejaric against Chewie. And then the Falcon goes to this glacier thing to retrieve some data from a spy. And the set of minutes ends with Poe light speed skipping to evade some TIE fighters. I'm really excited to have back to the show for the second time, uh, Claudia Aminavar, who is the co-host of RuPalp's Pod Race, um, a podcast that you should definitely check out if you haven't already, and just all around digital media person. And um, I'm excited to talk to you again. Thank you for thank you for having me back. It's super wild because um, I recently was making a TikTok about Solo and thinking about Solo, and that was the last time I was on the show. And now I'm back, and I was like, oh wow. Um, the reason I was talking about Solo is because there's a reference to it in the latest Percy Jackson book. But oh. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's on purpose. Um, no spoilers, but it's a, it's foreshadowing. Um, there's a reference to Dryden Voss. Wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, um, yeah, the person who co-wrote it also co-wrote a Star Wars book, and they're a really big Star Wars fan. But anyway, I was thinking about Solo, and then I was thinking about when I was on here, and we were... We were talking about the train heist, so totally, um, yeah. And now we're talking about an equally like crazy part of <laughs> a Star Wars movie, a That's Star Wars so movie true. that I also have very mixed opinions on. <laughs> so yeah, you and everyone else. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those. It's funny because there is a lot in this set of minutes that actually reminds me of Solo a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. And I didn't really make that connection until like yesterday when I was preparing for this episode. It's like, huh, I'm getting a little bit of a solo vibe in this one spot. Um, yeah. And I'm also uh, happy to talk to you before, we're speaking before the Ahsoka show has begun. So uh, nice to touch base before that. <laughs> um, you mean you mean the Thrawn show? It's about, <laughs> it's about me and my bestie. I record every week with frames photos of Thrawn and Eli. <laughs> Right. Above my computer, and that's what it's about. It's about my special blue man. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, the rise of Skywalker. There, this is still the beginning of the film, pretty much. So we're getting a lot of parts still set up, rather than like in motion. So this conversation that Palpatine has with Kylo. It's, it's like the audience's first um, experience of all of this stuff too, if that makes sense. Um, and we get a lot of, we get some, we get some cool uh, sound design and some cool, some cool stuff. So how about, um, unless you have like a, a prelude to things you want to say, how about we start just like listening to the beginning of the minutes? Yeah? Yeah, cool, sounds cool. good. All right. Okay. I'm not sure if it it might be loud when I start, so just... 
side of the force well, actually is not. a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. What could you give me? Everything. Okay, let's stop there for a second, at least because of the, you know, the YouTube algorithms. Um, so horror vibes, right? Like, yeah, I was, I both horror vibes and also like a trailer. Like, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> and and I, I'm obsessed with trailer music in general. That's just like a fun niche thing I love. And a trailer science in general. Really? Because like, I'm also obsessed with them in a negative way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But like when I when I, I I studied visual communication in school, and I had this I had this professor. I've talked about him on podcasts a bunch. Um, who he was really cool in the, all the different pieces of media that he would bring in. But we talked about like the science of trailers and why they are certain ways, whatever. And then because of that, I'm always thinking about it when I see trailers and then trailer music. Um, but specifically for this part, I whenever I describe my first experience of seeing the rise of Skywalker, it feels like I was on a Star Wars induced acid trip. And these first like five minutes is exactly that. Where you like when when you sent me this this <laughs> section, I was like, all of this happens in five minutes. Right. So I wasn't dreaming it. Like it really, it really is crazy. <laughs> it really is as bonkers as I remember it being. <laughs> I remember walking out and being in a dream state. Um, <laughs> and. It, like, I know, like, people will accuse Marvel movies of this all the time where, like, they make movies to have lines and stuff so that they'll be, like, a gotcha for a trailer or whatever. And I'm like, that's what this feels like. <laughs> like, they're like, it's a fair. new empire. And, and you're like, okay, so. <laughs> I, I don't even know if they put that in the trailer, if that was a, having the emperor as a, I can't remember if they put that in the trailer or not. But I they was didn't, like. I, they did not put any Palpatine in the trailer because I, I often do not watch the trailers for things. But at this time in 2019, I did watch the trailer for this, and I, when I saw the film, I had I didn't see the Palpatine thing coming. I, I'll say this. I, oh, you know what? They had his laugh at the end of one of the trailers. That's true. The That's girlies true. were like, "Oh my god!" That's and everybody true. knew he was coming back because of Fortnite. <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Okay, no, you're right. I remember a Palpatine reference in the trailers, but I feel like I didn't. But because of the um, because Palpatine is so omnipresent in yeah all of the movies, even when he's not there, like people will say, "Oh, why did he replace like Snoke was so much better than Palpatine?" For me, Snoke in seven and eight, it felt just kind of like the same, like Palpatine light. Like yeah, Snoke never felt that separate. It felt like it always felt Which- like this was Emperor E. Emperor was always well, there pretty much in the shadows to me. And in, and that's what they meant in him to be. He's like a failed he's a base apparently he's a failed Emperor Palpatine clone apparently. Right. Um so you're like lots unpack there. Yeah, um, but even if he was a successor, I would feel like he was a failed Palpatine successor either way. Yeah. Go. Yeah. In question in this part mostly before it gets all horrory, this is but this is the Kylo Ren theme, right? Mostly the music here? Yes. Okay. Because I, for some reason, I was like, oh, they're going to play the Emperor's theme. 
They do, do they, both. They do both. Okay. Because I can't remember if they play it at all in Rise of Skywalker, but they do. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah. Well, they play – It's they all kind of like live in a similar family where they can yeah. sort of flow into each other and yeah. and they do. Um, yeah. Do you want to hear something crazy when you said – Of course. Oh, I, I didn't – obviously we didn't expect the whole Ray Palpatine thing. Um, back in – so The Force Awakens came out December 2015. So this would be in 2016. I used to watch Star Wars theory videos. Not mm-hmm. not the guy Star Wars theory. Like Star yeah, Wars yeah. conspiracy theory videos yeah. on YouTube. Just for fun. And this was... Star Wars fandom has always been toxic. But these were... Like it was far <laughs> less toxic than before. The time after The Force Awakens came out was a beautiful time that I wish I, I could go back to. Yeah. But... So there were these crazy lore videos and, and not just lore, like just these theories. And I would watch them all the time just for fun because they were fucking bonkers. And there was one in 2016 that was like, this is why Ray is a Palpatine. And it was like 20 <laughs> minutes long being like, look at the lightsaber forms. And then they get, they went into the music. Yeah. At, at which someone picked up later of how Ray's theme is like an inversion of the Emperor's theme, whatever. And they were like, they were very like Charlie Day pointing at the board and everyone was like, girl, that's crazy. And then I walked into the theater for this movie and I was like, YouTuber from 2016, you're, you're on to some shit. <laughs> you're crazy for this. <laughs> so I think this is like the beauty of Ray's theme actually is that, yeah, okay, we're talking... We're talking. Sorry. Sorry. Like that, at least that part. Or even. Et cetera. Is it's open-ended enough that it could have supported the plot going many directions without having to do anything like weird to it. So like it actually is like a perfect theme for anything that could have yeah. happened. So it's, it's, yeah. it's like, I would love to know exactly what John Williams was thinking. Cause not only no, does the theme, literally. not only does the theme like just really match, like I'll go into this more during force awakens season, I guess. But like, I think Ray's theme is one of the like extremely positive things to come out of the sequel trilogy. It's yeah. It's such a, it's a departure from the other female lead themes that we've had before, which are very in the romantic vein. Ray's theme is very more in the modern vein and it's like harmonically much more open. Some would say more simple harmonically. True. It's not like Leia's theme goes like everywhere. Like it's (laughs) Leia's theme is like chord change, chord change, weird harmony, blah, blah, blah. Ray's theme is like more sort of settled and it goes melodically to cool places but harmonically it's pretty simple and you can overlay like the forcing for parts of it you can like kind of overlay Luke Skywalker's new like exile themes that are introduced in Return of the sorry in The Last Jedi Jedi. yeah Yeah. and then if you look at just the intervals of course it's you know this is a minor third which is not unusual to have in a theme at all so it doesn't stick out as like oh this is definitely like yeah but if you really wanted to like conspire, if you really wanted to draw a connection, which you can draw a connection between any two themes in Star Wars, you you can yeah. every theme is like two steps away from another theme. You could you could do this with anything, but yeah. you could you know 
the Emperor's theme has a minor third in it. Yeah. So, yes. The answer is, like, I can see it. It, yeah, for me, I would need more like supporting material. Like, it, it's not yeah. obvious enough that it's like, oh, it gives it away. But if you want to backtrack and read into it, then it works. Yeah, and I'm like, John, what did you know? What did you know, and when did you know it? That's what I need to know. Because like, mm. I, I, I know that he really liked Ray as a character. He's talked about it in interviews, and he's yeah. talked about like what he thought would work for a character, and then a director like Ryan Johnson be like, oh no, I think it should go more this way or that, and. Mm-hmm. I I won't get into what I think uh, what I think but like he wanted to it. protect Ray from Kylo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and I was like, "Mr. John Williams, I will always stand you forever and always." <laughs> he was like he was like he, he was like he's kind of weird and creepy. I think she'd be kind of scared at this point. And Ryan's like, "No, it's no Ryan's it's romantic." Like, lean and into it. <laughs> Sir like, John no. Sir John Williams is like not my baby. <laughs> and I was like, I'm holding you gently in my hands, Sir John Williams. <laughs> you understand me. <laughs> um, I, it's me and John, me and John Williams together <laughs> holding hands like this. Like, um, but no, I really am always just like, what did you know? And when the other interesting piece, you said that there were a lot of different themes in this movie. Like one of my, <laughs> This is an absurd complaint, but one of my biggest complaints from The Rise of Skywalker is one that really doesn't really matter. When I would in, in the end of the movie, when they're like she's fighting Palpatine at the end, and they have the whole like chorus of Sith in the back and the, the Sith Eternal, whatever. They really don't make clear what the fuck that is. Um <laughs> resident person who has read and watched the entire Star Wars canon. Literally, I still don't know what the fuck that is. Um Oh, like what the Sith chorus was? Yeah. I was like, that would have been the time to play Duel of the Fates. And then they didn't play it. (laughs) And I was like, I'm I'm literally I'm waiting for Duel of the Fates. There's there's a literal choir there. They're literally (laughs) having the Duel of the Fates at the end of the Skywalker saga. And I don't hear. I was like, it would have been a perfect bookend. It's like poetry. I was like, and they just played what I was like, Mr. John Williams, you have let me down. This is the one time you have ever let me down. I was going to assure you it was not his decision. Or if Jewel of the Fate, see, I don't know. It's, I bet equally, I bet an equal amount of people who were disappointed that it wasn't Jewel of the Fates would have been like, ugh, fan service if it was Jewel of the Fates. Yeah, but there's so much terrible fan service in that movie that that would have been like the lowest priority. (laughs) Like, probably people would have been like, that was my only good part of the movie. (laughs) Like I, I, and and people are like, oh, it's because they don't want to address the prequels. I'm like, in this clip that we just watched, it was literally is literally a reference to the prequels. That line, Palpatine literally says it in the prequels. Like, <laughs> so true. Yeah, that's so true. It starts with, yeah, literally, um, Revenge of the Sith territory. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. He um, changes line, damn. <laughs> he is. Yeah, with that shot of his hands. I remember being like, oh my God, in the theater. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Um, Oh yeah, I want to address back to like, what did John Williams know? So the reason I want to know like what was in John Williams' head when he created Ray's theme is like, not whether he, I don't think he, I don't think he ever conceived of the emperor thing. I don't think John Williams conceived of that. But I do want to know if he purposely like, 
made it open sounding to give the filmmakers like lots of options or like, I don't know, just to kind of be a really good team player or something. Or like if it's a coincidence that he made it sound so, you know, open or yeah, yeah. if he kind of knew that it might be good in the long run to leave his, leave his options open. Yeah. I mean, I think in general, The Force Awakens has a vibe of new possibilities in general. And I think that's probably just the vibe that he was trying to give. Totally. I mean, even the end of the movie when they play her theme as like she's climbing the steps or whatever, like that's that's the big, that's the vibe of that movie. So it, maybe, it, I don't know, maybe might have been, maybe might have been an accident. Who knows? Totally. I mean, either way, newness is in her theme. Yeah. Like it, what it sounds like to me is very Dvorak New World. Symphony. Yes. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. Back to back to what we have here. Um, so we do start with um, so the music that we're hearing at the beginning of this set of minutes is sort of like the continuation of some incidental type of music that we were hearing in the at the end of the previous set of minutes. So I'll start again, and then do more stops. Some consider to be. Unnatural. Notice, like, this film, especially this um, Exegol stuff, has a lot of, like, timpani things, like, for dramatic dramatic effect. Um, They're like, ooh, we've been hiding a whole fleet out here. You're like, girl, what? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I guess they have to, I don't know, they have to make this big scary reveal as big and scary as possible because it is all cgi and it doesn't make any logical sense so they're like so john williams again had to put in the work and put in the hours which is what he always does (laughs) what do you mean by doesn't what part doesn't make sense do you mean like narratively or do you mean like yeah narratively yeah which is it to me that's the most common theme in star wars in general is something narratively it doesn't make sense but john williams is putting in the work in the hours so then you believe it (laughs) Mm. yeah it's hard for me to say because it narratively made there was it made sense to me at the time but also I was taking it in with the music so perhaps the music helped it make sense um to me at the time um and this the texture of like the strings they're kind of going like to be Unnatural. So like, dee, 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 rest, dee, 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 whatever. Like the point is the strings are moving in, in like a homophonic texture, meaning it's not like some going dee, 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 dee and some going boo, boo. Like they're all same rhythm moving at the same time, yeah. you know, like. It, it feels a lot like every everything is leading to a reveal because this movie is all about all the reveals, the reveals one might say. Like, the Ray is a Palpatine reveal. This mm-hmm. is the reveal that, surprise, we have not just the First Order, but the Final Order out on Exegol. Right. And, like, there's all these reveals. Or, like, for Finn, there's, like, he meets Janna and, like, that there's the reveal that there's, like, more defected stormtroopers. Like, right. The narrative choice to be like we're just going to keep revealing things in this movie, put the, putting that aside, like, that is a, that is a theme of this movie. Um... Not for me to analyze my least favorite Star Wars movie, but I I feel like that, I feel like probably as you go through this whole movie, that will probably be be a big thing of like, 
there will be musical cues of like, surprise! I would love to know what the musical cue is when they make poor Adam Driver be like, you're a pal, Ray, you're a Palpatine. <laughs> right. I won't give that away. I know what it is, <laughs> but I won't give it away. Um, <laughs> listeners, if you want to start, if you want to leave your guesses, um, please do. Um, yeah. Okay. So continuing. Oh, for me, the the texture of the, like the homophonic texture of the strings moving all together, for, for me, it sounds, it, it evokes like puppet master to me. It's like all the strings are moving at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Thing. Um, okay. His dirty lightsaber. I love it. <laughs> you give me. Classic sound getting sucked out. A new empire. Imperial March. Final order will soon be ready. It will be yours if you do as I ask. Kill the girl. End the Jedi. There was another timpani thing. And become what your grandfather Vader could. Kylo Ren theme. It's funny how when he mentions Vader, they play the Kylo Ren theme, but they play the quote unquote Darth Vader theme, which to me is the Imperial March. Yeah, when he yeah, says a new empire, march. yeah, yeah, which I think is actually fine. I I don't need the imperial march to literally just be for Vader. I like th- that it's for the empire. Um, there's so much sound happening here. Yeah, well, I, and I think that's a thing in general in the rise. Of, there's not just music. There's just always a ton of sound. Uh, when we get to the second part of this with the light speed skipping, I feel like that was the oh same. totally. So just, there's so much sound, but there's also so much visually happening mo- a lot of the time in this movie. I feel like that's just like in general what is occurring. Whatever, it's just like oh, there's so much hot like that. I think that really contributes to, especially this being in like the first five minutes of the film. I feel like. Um, that really contributed to that feeling of being on an acid trip of like sound, both visual and sound wise. There's so much going on. Mm-hmm. Just you're like, whoa. Um, and also like I was saying about the reveals, like the stuff that he's saying is like thing after thing, after thing, after thing. And then there's like a ton of sound wise happening behind you. And then flipping between him talking and then seeing the ships at the same time. You're like, hold on. Ugh, Jesus. <laughs> So it's interesting. Okay, so first of all, the second part of this set of minutes, I agree, is like especially. It feels to me like I'm on a roller coaster that has. It's like a launch coaster, like where instead of having like a really slow lift hill and then kind of getting into it, it's just like immediately. Yeah, Um, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And that can feel really exciting at times. And it's the second. It's the second half in particular that I feel like reminds me of Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, Yes, definitely. But what I do, like we're not, it, this doesn't cross into this set of minutes, but after that really hectic opening, it does go immediately to Ray meditating. And so I remember yeah. how I felt in the theater and being like, 
like, oh, this is a breath of fresh air when once we got there. Like, so it, this, I feel like this movie has a little bit of a more agreeable pacing in that way and like highs and lows than at least Solo Star Wars Story does. But that's just oh, my yeah. cursory opinion. Well, and I, I remember like, because I, if I remember correctly, she's she's meditating and then she stops, she walks, and then she walks back towards the resistance or whatever. And then, then, then they're back and then they start their like really fast banter um, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And it immediately speeds back up again. And I remember yeah. like it feeling like this, like like short waves like this. You're like, oh, it slows down. Oh, no, nope, we're back up again kind of thing. Mm. Um, See, I still interpreted that as sm- as less energetic because there was no music and – like it was more I, I like I don't mind like rapid dialogue as much as I mind like rapid movement. Like yeah. shoot I'm, like shooting and for, space battling and everything. Yeah. Well I think especially because this is a trio of characters who we have not seen all three of them interact with each other very much. So this is like our first like meal of that and it was like boom, 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 and you're like, whoa, hold on. Shit, yeah. we've never seen them interact before. Right. Um I used to do I used to do improv, I know, cringe. And there's a Me too. there's a <laughs> you know that the the game where they do um you do the scene and then you do it in a minute and then you do it in 30 seconds and then you do it again in 10 seconds, whatever. That's what that scene felt like, that they like did the scene and then J.J. Abrams was like, all right, do it in 30. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, it's so validating to hear you say that. I went on Star Wars Minute podcast and that was the set of minutes that I talked about was minutes 16 through 20, with which had like kind of yeah. the end of their fight. And I was like, this feels like, something from improv class like this yes! feels like totally feels like improv. so yeah listen <laughs> like, to my thoughts on that let's, podcast let's keep it pushing like or they, do they just have the people in post to speed it up a little bit like I don't know what they it did it felt like genuine improv to me but anyway uh, yeah. yeah well and I think that is a testament to the actors having a good chemistry with each other as well but uh, yeah I think where you were saying that like there's a there's a there's there's so much going on in different ways in just this one clip that we're looking at, like both visually, visually, both visually and sonically in this part. And then in the second part as well, you're like, okay, I, I, I don't know if that was on purpose. That was the vibe they wanted. Or if that was just like the last movie, let's go. <laughs> so I think there are like different, obviously there are different, obviously different people have different like, brains and modes of taking in information and everything. For me, I'm not a details person. Um, when I'm, when I'm taking something in, it's, I mean, well, I, I am a details person in that I'll notice like ridiculous details that don't matter, that probably don't matter, but like, I'm really like a kind of a, a, a big vibe person. And so like, at least in the first half of this set of minutes, just when we're still on Exegol, I don't actually feel like Palpatine is saying that much which is why I tolerate like all of the sound and everything because I don't feel like, oh, the sound is getting in the way from me hearing all of this information that Palpatine is giving because first of all, they're giving him like 10 seconds of space between each line that he says to give us like the atmosphere of Exegol, like all this lightning and like all this like horror, horror sound. And he's really just saying like, he, he's saying a new fi- there's gonna be a new order whatever, like basically he's just saying, join me basically and kill the girl. That's essentially what he's saying is kill the girl and join me. You will rule the galaxy as the new emperor. 
or not join me, but you, you will have all this stuff, just do my bidding. And it's, the vibe is just like the emperor trying to appeal to Kylo, who is defiant, and it's all very creepy, and we're on this world, and we're all supposed to be freaked out by this cr- creepy, like we can't even see the full room, like we can't even see the full set- setting. We, can't, we don't really know where exactly he is. Like we don't see the full like auditorium, and we, we, we don't really know. We just see like in flashes when the, there's lightning, we see like maybe flashes of, of everything. So it's very horror vibes. Um, something that I heard in an interview that the supervising sound editors, it was a Dolby Institute. Um, they do interviews, I think, with like the Academy Award nominating movies for sound design, I believe. Um, so they did an interview with um, David Acord and Matthew Wood supervising sound editors, and they were talking about um, sort of the sound design of Exegol. And one thing that they talked about, which I definitely notice, is that like the emperor's dialogue is captured in a really specific way. First of all, it doesn't, it's the emperor, but we've never heard the emperor quite like this. This is like extremely big sounding. Um, So they captured the emperor with like LCR, like left, center, right mics, and put like a big, huge um, reverb delay time on it. Like, I don't know if they were joking, but they said like almost 20 seconds, which is a huge time to like, so that what that does is it makes you feel like that this is a really huge space that he's in, even though we can't really see the whole thing. And um, I do, so I do think like the sound design is effective in that way, making the emperor sound like really omnipresent in a way that makes sense for the space. And my criticism for some of the new Star Wars projects, like sometimes in the TV shows, a lot of the times in Solo, a Star Wars story, particularly at the end with Darth Maul's reveal, where the voices sound omnipresent, but it doesn't make sense for the location that they're in. Um, oh, absolutely. And this absolutely. is not that. This it, For here, you, it actually makes sense. Do you think, uh, do you think Andor does it, does it better? Or no? I think, or have you have you noticed in Andor? I haven't noticed it in a negative way in Andor. I think I could, overall my impression of the Andor sound design is really positive. Because the reason I ask is because Andor was delayed in shooting because they shot mostly on physical sets rather than on the volume. I mean that that being said, you know the sound design is can be somewhat separate. Um, and then while there were other shows that were. Uh, you know, in the volume that that that's why I was wondering. Um, oh, okay, because in Andor, I don't know if there's a, no, a kind of a comparable moment like it this, will, comparable scene. Um, because I'm thinking, like, I mean, of course, there's the loudspeaker in Narkina Five, but that makes sense because it's like coming from the loudspeaker. Yeah, um, where there is something like I mean, they have the they have the well, there's like a really large space. They have outdoor spaces, like when she's giving the speech in the bit, like where her That's hologram true. is giving the speech, I yeah. feel like, but that is an outdoor space. I'd have to like watch it again. No, you're right. Um, that end speech is one moment where I'm, where it's like, okay, clearly there either are speakers all around, like we'll just kind of fudge this. Yeah. I think what and really I, sticks out is like when it's a very small space, but we hear the voices just like being everywhere, like loud and present everywhere. You're not like, oh, they're talking to the right. Like they're right here in this, in this space. Yeah. 
like um, Stellan Skarsgård when he gives his little speech to the guy who came to meet him and they're like in some fucking back alley on Coruscant mm-hmm. and that's very different from like Nemec's voiceover, which is technically yeah. him writing. Yes. Um which they put over things. See, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna be listening for it. Now good. Good. Now I'm be like, oh shit. Oh, I mean, I. But I mean, if it doesn't other, take you out of it, it doesn't matter if it's like yeah, fudged. My, my other question would be: Have you ever noticed that or something similar in the animated shows? Yeah, I, it's. I think it. I have noticed it in animated shows for sure, and it's like something that takes me out a little bit sometimes. Which ones? Ooh, like probably all of them at some point. Really? But I'll have to be, I, I could be more specific once I, when, when I like, the next time I specifically see it in an episode, I'll, yeah. I'll tweet it or something. Um, but it it makes more sense that it would happen to me in an animated show than live action where it feels like you can clearly see that, because in animated shows, there's a lot more just, oftentimes there's a lot of movement period that can't, yeah, be done in live action. Um, so I don't know. There's maybe just something in my wiring that makes it bother me more in live action when it's clearly oh, like because it just feels like a little too uncanny. Um, it happens with alien voices a lot. Oh, particularly because those are all of uh, uh, those are pretty much all going to be like fully ADR. Yeah. Oh, so, and you know what? Probably with the Mandalorian's voice as well. It happens so much in the Mandalorian. It's like the sound, the sound in the Mandalorian is one of the things that bothers me most, especially about the latest season. Because they're all always, because they're all always wearing masks, and it's mostly ADR all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's and I ADR doesn't that. have to be like that. It just is. It's easy. It's easy to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that, that makes sense. Yeah, because I'm thinking about it now, and I'm like, when you hear Din Djarin's voice, for example, like sometimes it'll sound like really close to you, whatever. And yeah. I'm like, and I'm like, that's what it would sound like coming out of his helmet. If he, like that's what it probably sounds like to him coming out of the helmet. Yeah. But like, it's like I'm listening to it in monitor. I yeah, guess like I'm used to it because I podcast all the time. I was just gonna say it sounds like it's <laughs> someone. It sounds like you're having a very clear like podcasting situation with people, and so that's what a lot of the dialogue in the Mandalorian sounds like. Even I will say like not to talk not to talk too much about the Mandalorian, but I mean what's what we're hearing in the Rise of Skywalker here, in my opinion, is like a justified version of of this. So, um, oh. but like bad versions are. One of the most egregious ones for me is like the beginning of the episode that has like kind of the romance between the Mon Calamari. I I can't. Is it like an oh. Aqualish? Yeah. And a, and, and, no, no. It's 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 a uh, it's a Mon Calamari and a and a and a um the the two that live on Mon Cala. Yeah. The other. I'm pretty sure. The other squid Fucking water the, alien. The squid one. Yeah. 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 Um. um shout out to Prince Lee Char. Um. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. No, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, like the the voices there sound like you're having a podcast interview with those two characters. That, and you know what? Sometimes, it, you know what? Sometimes it's fine. You're like, I'm going to suspend my disbelief. It's fine for like, sure. Like, and different people have different tolerances yeah. for it. But I would also wonder if. Not me connecting everything to how Hollywood works now, 
But I would also wonder if the structure of how TV is made for streaming now where they're like, go, 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 go about everything, um, especially at Disney where they were like, it's about drive, it's about power to both Star Wars and Marvel especially, um, affects that versus one of these movies where they were like, you are under the boot of of Disney Studios. You cannot fuck this one up. We are going to we are going to engineer this to the gods. Whether we're going to write it well, who knows? But like <laughs> you know what I mean? But- I think I think that absolutely has an impact on television production. Like yeah. I mean even if you just talk about the writing, like now I'm just very curious how many writers are in the room for like Mandalorian. Oh, well, I can answer that question. There's there there's there's 3. Oh, there, there is no there is no writers room for for the Mandalorian, and you can tell there is no writers room. Well, and the irony is, Andor is also quite good, but there's like three writers as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they they're they're going, you know, they uh, we talk about this on Rupalps all the time, where we're like, I'm having a good time. It would be really good if you had a writers room for any of the like. The reason the animated shows are good is because they had writers rooms, and even then. Like, the people who worked on Star Wars Rebels, they were spilling the beans on Twitter <laughs> for the writer's strike and stuff like that. Like, okay. They I were need like, to find these did- threads because I've actually been really curious about specific um, shows that I watch. Star Wars Rebels was non-union, which so there are a lot of animated shows that are. Um, the writers, anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently, like, they... They had to, like, work in a fucking closet. Um, but, I mean, so we've talked a bunch about how, like, yeah, having a writer's room really makes a difference. I mean, I always think about, like... Um, the arcs with Ventress, for example, like all of that was like Katie Lucas's whole thing. And like, and then mm-hmm. you had, you had different writers doing whatever, or if you just look at the credits and that's on the Clone Wars and the Clone Wars is like, that was a pretty traditional animated show on Cartoon Network, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you look at like, um, Star Wars Rebels, um, they were working under the non-union boot at Disney XD. <laughs> so they were doing the best they fucking could, but they had different writers and you could see, when you look at all the streaming shows, it, much like it, it, all the Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel shows have having the same problems as everything else, where it's like Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and then like one or two other people are getting to write some, and you're yeah. like, okay. Do you know if they come all to right. set? <laughs> I guess we're not talking about that, but now I, I want to know like how no, far well, led. They do set. because half the time they're also directing it, and they're also right. the executive producers. So, um, yeah, that's a whole. That's a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and they're and well, and sometimes they're like, oh well, we brought in all these different directors, and you're like, great, That's but who's writing problem. the episodes? Yeah. Like we were talking about that for um, the book of Boba Fett, where we were like, they were like, oh, like we have a, a cool different director or whatever, and I'm like, okay, well, John Favreau did write most of the episodes, though. <laughs> you know, like, um, which is also why a lot of people are really excited about the Acolyte because they have a full writers' room. That That's Leslie great. Headland, who has done major shows and stuff before, has a full writer's room working with. And you're like, you will notice the difference. Um, I'm excited. That being said, Andor, Andor is going to be oh, – Andor is kind of the exception, even though it only has like three writers. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there are also – you know, acknowledge that there are shows where, where the showrunner or writers are kind of like more of the auteur type where they yeah. are really going to – so you will have the quality control of that, but like not every show is going to have, is going to have that, nor should it, nor is it set up to be, especially yeah. ones that are just meant to just like put out yeah. episodes. You need to have some sort of quality control or like some sort of people. Yeah. Anyway. Tony, Tony Gilroy, I think has been organizing with the WGA for quite some time. And also he's talked about how like they, 
they had to do what they had to do with Andor. And he's like, we got two seasons and that's all. I'm happy that that's what we got. So if he had had the opportunity to have more writers, I'm sure he would have been ha- very happy with that considering he's he's a professional in the biz um, kind of deal. And I think that he would work well with that. Um, yeah. I, would, I can't imagine how, wow, if they had had a writer's room for Andor – they would be cooking. Anyway, we need to get back yeah. to this. Okay, so the Rise of Skywalker. So back to Exegol. So that we talked about the Emperor's voice. And then also, of course, Matthew would capture, well, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but um, <laughs> the lightning on Exegol. Okay, we'll talk about the lightning. It was purposely different sounding than Force Lightning. J.J. Um, Abrams did not want the lightning on Exegol to be confused with Force Lightning, which is a very good idea. Um, and then Dave Accord in the interview said, that JJ wanted it to sound like animalistic, guttural, screechy, creepy, brain melty. Um, and noting that the lighting on Exegol is coming from the center of the planet and shooting out rather than like shooting down from the sky. So it couldn't sound like traditional lighting. It had to be much more like horrible sounding. Um, you know, it, it, oh. it which, and I think, I think it, that effect is achieved where the lightning sounds a lot more like, oh, this is like, ex- it's like the equivalent of like Kylo Ren's lightsaber. It's like a dirty, crackly, like much more yeah. guttural lightning where, where it's like coming from the inside of the planet rather than like being in the sky. So I think, yeah. um, I think actually I did I not think know the sound that, design is very effective. I did not know that it came from the inside of the planet. No, None no. of that movie makes sense to me. So <laughs> that's news to me. And I've read some of the books that occur on Exegol. So... I've learned a new th- fact about Star Wars today. <laughs> and it's sorry. It's interesting how a lot of the times the Star Wars it's a lot of the times the sound design is like the first um evidence of a physical reality in these yeah. fictional worlds. And I think that's that's really cool. Like that may not be even a that's not even something that was mentioned in this film like, oh, but you no one was like the lightning on Exegol comes from the center, but it's something that the sound designers ha- have to know so they can intentionally make the sound and, and it's something it's like yeah. a, it's something that maybe it's a piece of quote-unquote lore that sometimes only the sound people will know like not even anyone yeah. else will know because it's just something I mean, that, that's that's the magic of skywalker and, sound bit yeah. yeah like and the same thing goes damn. for like settings and props people well like they yeah. definitely know things about you know because they have to build the world even if it's not explicitly discussed yeah and then you're like god i, I wish i'd known that that would have been helpful <laughs> <laughs> but now that you know it, 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 I feel like the sound will, I don't know, it, it registers for me like in a new way where if I hear that kind of lightning sound in like the Mandalorian or some future thing, I will feel like, oh, is it coming from the center? Like, is it coming from the center of the planet? <laughs> I know that's a thing now. Oh um, my God. I yeah. like when Star Wars just makes up physics. It's my favorite thing. Yeah, me too. It's, it's pretty <laughs> great. Okay, let's continue listening. You will rule all the galaxy as the new emperor. More of those screechy metallic stuff. She is not who you think she is. Who is she? There's the emperor's theme. Did you catch it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, this part right here. I actually think I think it's a pretty cool transition, yeah. Sound wise, because it goes from the lightning transit, it like 
lightning and then it kind of goes into hyperspace. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, pretty good. The, uh, yeah, this next part, um, when, uh, there's a significant part of this that doesn't have any music. And then this next part, um, it does have one of my favorite, what I like to call Finpo crumbs. Um, <laughs> which is Finn and Poe, they are sitting so close, close to each other. And they're like, oh, well, they're sitting close because they're playing against Chewie. And so they're they're sitting on one side of the game table. And then and then he's sitting on the other side and they're they're playing whatever. And I'm like, okay, but why are they sitting like on top of each other? Like, what's the truth? Like, what's the reason? And then like through this whole scene, they're 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 acting very married couple behavior. Anyways, I No, I agree. I, I, I take my crumbs where I can get them. <laughs> I um, I love. I didn't like Poe in the last. I didn't like Poe until this movie. Actually, they they actually slandered my man in the last movie, and I don't like to. I don't like to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I I let's just listen. Let's start to listen. <laughs> So this is the sound of the Jajaric pieces, which originally those were Ben Burt's own voice. He apparently had to make the Jajaric pieces and he was like very close to the deadline. I was like, shit, I don't have anything. Okay, let me just record my voice and like speed it and pitch it up. (laughs) So. You ever gonna go? He can't beat us every time. And apparently he does. How does he do it? This guy right here, it's because he cheats. I'm kidding. Oh, come on, take your turn. You're years taking forever. Old. That's cheating. That's why we think us. you're cheating. Don't worry. We're not going to turn it the off. One of, one of many alarm sounds. He's cheating. Definitely. Claude, I hope you fix that surge. Re-up, re-up. There's the alarm. <laughs> um, basically a minor tenth. Um, I, something I notice is that Finn and Poe often, they often speak at the same time. In this movie especially. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're married couple behavior. They're always, they just, they're always on the same wavelength and they're always, they're always, they just, they're just very, I, and I think that's just, I think that's also just because the two actors, they just work really well together. And I, so, so true. <laughs> They are always speaking over, like, but they, what's interesting also is, like, this is one of the few moments, just in Star Wars in general, where you're like, oh, these are just normal people just hanging out, and they're, like, they talk over each other, and they're joking around, and they're whatever. Um, they're married. This is their friend. We got live <laughs> slug reaction. <laughs> um, this is Chewy. Chewy being like, these are, these are my two these are my two little humans. Um, they're a bonded pair. Cannot separate. <laughs> Must adopt together. Yeah. Yeah, it is It is definitely one of the f- first and last moments of kind of normalcy that we're going to see um, before, they're, before everything just starts to move forward. I mean, we're not going to get that many, as many rest points where they're not in direct peril. Um, for the rest of the movie. And so, I don't know, I, I cherish uh, I cherish this moment. Also, seeing it from the, uh, the first time after not really having 
known much about the friend, the friendship between the two of them or the three of them. Um, it did a lot for me in terms of speeding up my perception of like how intimate and how close of friends they are. Not only just Finn and Poe, but also them and Chewie. Like you get the sense that like they're comfortable enough to be joking with each other like this, which you wouldn't if yeah. you're still polite and kind of acquaintances. Yeah, which they they really had to do a lot of scenes and stuff like this to put in the work because otherwise there was not a lot of content. Like it's very hard to tell how little time mm-hmm. the first, second, and third sequel movies take place over because like the original trilogy takes place over years, mm-hmm. five years. Well, the Force um, Awakens and the Last Jedi take place directly. Directly after each yeah. other, but then yeah. this, but then this, I get the sense that m- much like more time has passed. I don't know. I I'm guessing it's a year. like maximum like one year. Yeah, that's it's, what I think. I, I I can look it up, but yeah, it's like ma- so it, like they have to put in a lot of things like this to be like, oh yeah, they're they're close, they're whatever, because <clears throat> you you wouldn't otherwise know. And and the, I appreciated that kind of stuff. That's why it's uniquely frustrating because you're like, I'm so close. I have a. L- my crumbs. <laughs> right, right, right. With the- I love my crumbs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, in my head, like, I like thinking of Finn and Poe. I'm definitely, like, a Finn Poe um, advocate. But I also, something I also like about this movie is how many feelings are going in so many different directions. We have like you could draw the most complicated like L word style web of like like Finn Poe Finn to Rose Finn to Ray. Then you could yeah. have like Ray to Finn Ray to Kylo. Then you could have like Poe to Finn Poe to Zori. You could have like yeah this extremely. I, no, if you first Poe and Zori. First of all, I did read the the book they had to write after this movie to like retcon half of Poe Dameron's story to include her. I read it too, and um, one of the things that bothered me the most is that they called her tall. I was like, what's She's going not on tall. here? You don't have to make every like attractive female character. You don't have to like write that they're tall. Which is a, yeah. this is a, this is a problem I have with Star Wars books in general. Their description, the way that they have, the way that they feel that they have to describe characters sometimes. Like, not the High Republic. The no, High Republic, High Republic never lets. Nope, down. High Republic does it too. I take I've no. taken notes on certain parts. Yep, they're always like, Ooh. this is the new Jedi Master. They're a tall, thin, blonde woman. I'm swear okay, I can give you many Avar. examples. No, it's that's not Avar, only but... it's not only Avar. It's also who else? Who in the second phase? Salandra, Salandro, Salandra. She's not blonde. Okay, I don't. It might not be blonde, but they're like the pale blonde, pale tall, willowy, elegant features. Blah blah. blah. Like they're all. Oh, like- Salandra. Salandra is like she's like I don't know if she's tall, but Salandra's like she's like she's like middle aged. She's like East Asian, and she's I guess she would be ish tall. I'm not sure. I don't actually whatever, know how tall. Whatever she helps is. you sleep at night. But a lot, I will say in the High Republic, they do have a lot of aliens who are on the tall side. They do have a lot of non-humans, um, like Scare and stuff like that. Um, I, yeah. so I can't, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't. Uh, oh, no, it's Zala. Well, Zala. I'm thinking Zala of Zala. Mockery? From oh. Path of Deceit. Oh, yeah. Tall, elegant, she, and thin features. She, she Oh, and then also is... Salandra from Quest for the Hidden City. I literally take notes on this. Salandra was Solandra. a tall, slim human woman with sweeping brown hair that was tied back behind her shoulders. They're always describing, not always, but like so often they just introduce a new female character and then basically talk about 
she's always like some version of attractive, tall and or and slash or they slim and or they, elegant and they or do pale. It for the men too, though. They do sure, it for the sure, men sure, sure, sure. Though, yeah, <laughs> they're always like, "He was very handsome," and you're like, "Oh, thank you." Well, uh, Zala also is not human. She's soy con. Okay, tall, she's, elegant, she's, thin features. And you're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, have you have you met my girl Gela Natai though? I don't actually remember Gela's physical description. She's uh fuck, I don't remember. I don't remember her actual physical description. It's okay. Uh there's my girl, my girl Gela Natai or um I would say also in Cataclysm that we got my girl Gela Natai, we've got um uh fuck, um Keon Greylark. Oh right, 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 right. I think Keong is not very tall. Okay. Well, tall, it doesn't all have to be all of these, but it's like a bucket of attractive features. And in the Rise of Skywalker book, I just think it's so funny that they feel the need to go out of their way to say that Zori Bliss is tall, which is like, you didn't have to do that. Also, Carrie Russell's like five feet. Or what's her name? Is her name Carrie Russell? Yeah. Okay. She's like very short. And I just find that, like, I don't care. It's just unnecessary. It's an unnecessary detail to throw in when it's not on Also, screen. because Star Wars, much like other like scientific facts, they, they play fast and loose with people's heights. Um, so you're always just like, huh, girl, what? Um, right. I think they, they do that when they describe Thrawn a lot of times, too. You're like, okay, how the fuck tall is he? Like, I make a decision. Like, is he short? Is he tall? I don't know. In Rebels, he's kind of he's built like a Dorito. Like, just tell me. <laughs> I don't understand. They're like, oh, he's tall in the books. And then you're like, he's not that tall. That's really in, funny. In Rebels, whatever. But um, you were saying about the books and stuff. Um, clearly, the the resistance polycule, which I have talked about extensively on oh, the yeah. Pelps Paul Race. Totally. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Like is, it. Um, it's, it is clearly, um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's actually a circle <laughs> um, where... Uh, it's uh, I have to th- I have to think about it correctly. Where it's uh, Poe Dameron, and he's like, "Hi, my name is Poe Dameron, and this is my boyfriend Finn, and his girlfriend Ray, and her girlfriend Rose." <laughs> and that's, or I would do it. Whatever. It depends. It depends how you want to do it. Um, you can you can arrange that in several ways, but that's what I believe in my heart. And JJ Abrams, you can do whatever you want to do, but that's what I believe. Oh, that's my truth. Um. <laughs> well, I do like that it, all of these threads were left open-ended so that we could do this. Um. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I was like, um, yeah, well, listen, I have a lot of beef with this movie, but that scene at the end where the three of them are hugging. Oh, I my gosh. Crying. I was just crying I was, about that last was, yesterday. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm having a moment here. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Okay, so back to the scene. Um, Dejaric table turned off, um, following in the tradition of Star Wars having excellent on-off switch sounds. So another, it follows in the long lineage. Um, well done. And of course, we are now talking to Claude, who was, I think, the sh- like the me- uh, mechanic type of person. And um, well, I guess we could continue listening. What we're gonna, we're about to approach is the Sinta Glacier Colony. It's this floating iceberg-looking thing. T-minus five. Or two. Putting an image on screen. 
Okay. Another alarm. Horn. Julio, good to see you. You got something for us? From a new ally. A spy in the First Order. Okay, music. Spy. Who? I don't know. Transfer the message. Get it to Leia. Hurry. Into this. This could be big, aren't you? Okay, we'll stop. Oops, sorry. We'll stop right there for a second. Um, they're talking to Bulio, and he's like this alien that they're kind of looking up. He's in this this hatch that reminds me of the hatch it's, on the Millennium. It, oh wait, there. It is the hatch. The fetch. It's the yeah, hatch it's the same the, hatch the, that Luke comes down yeah. after his Cloud City situation. Stint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, situation. Um, but the but the um. This scene is clearly a parallel to the beginning of A New Hope, where they're like, "I've got, um, I've got a message. I have exactly. to give it to R2, whatever." But you, I did not notice that in my first or second watch of this movie because it goes so fast. I noticed it now when I watched it. I went, "Oh, that's supposed to be a reference." Right when Finn puts the like thing in R two, yeah, yeah, and he's like, he's like, "We have to get this to Leia," just like we have to get this to Obi Wan. You're like, "Oh, yeah. I, now I get it." Yeah. Anyway, more more proof for the Finn and Poe or Han Leia theory. More proof. <laughs> that they are Han and Leia. Oh. They are. There's, okay. There's, there is so much, first of all. Who's Han and there, who's Leia? Uh, well, actually, in the, in the this would actually be the opposite argument, whatever. But if you go by The Force Awakens, especially, um, a lot of the stuff with Han, like Han talks to Finn a lot. And then, like, Poe is being kind of dire- almost directly trained by Leia for at least the first two movies um, in a similar way. Um, also, there are a lot of visual parallels of them. Like, there's a scene of them talking where someone, like, like walks through them in The Last Jedi. That's literally the exact same scene that happens in The Empire Strikes Back um, on mm. Hoth between Han and Leia. Um, they also do that scene with Kanan and uh, Hera in Rebels. And yeah. you're like, oh... Hmm, I see, I see you. And then there's also when Han and Leia, I have this burned into my memory. I hope you know the, the from the gift sets on Tumblr. Um, <laughs> when Han and Leia kiss in, in, uh, on Endor or whatever, um, it's almost the same composition and framing as to when Finn and Poe hug um, on the forest planet. <laughs> in okay, I'm going to be looking out for this now. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna find it and I'm gonna okay. send it to you and you're gonna Please be like do. I see that oh and then I will when, put it in my notes for that episode and cite you <laughs> when Leia like I think on Endor when Leia I think Leia gets shot uh-huh. uh, like against the door of the yeah, thing yeah. and then like Han she's like, like braces her whatever it's pretty much the same like position same shot as in the Last Jedi when Finn like Finn like ran out or no 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 I think. Uh, when Poe like gets shot on the ground and like Finn is holding him uh, hmm. on the, on the ground in uh, in Crate? the no 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 they're they're on they're on the ship they're on one of the resistance ships like towards right. the beginning of the towards last the Jedi yeah yeah, yeah. the bomb yeah um, and everyone's like okay I see I see so they've been them the whole time got it yeah <laughs> well and also eventually. Han also becomes a general in the in in the true. In rebellion. True, true. They and true. they were co-generals. Oh my god, general, they were co-generals. General, I know, I know. That's also a moment that I like. Um, <laughs> general, general, appreciate that. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love and, them. and you know what? And that and they're married just like Han and Leia. End of story. Like, you can't tell me anything different, Michael Mouse. You can't. <laughs> I also think that Jana will join the polycule. And I'm excited oh, for that. Thank you. Thank you. That was the last one to pop. Thank you. You're welcome. It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was also that Rose has two hands also. Her, her girlfriend is also Jana. That, that was the other piece oh, of the polycule. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. She did. Perfect. She did not get her due. Where is her comic series? Where is her book? True. I need it right. I need it now. <laughs> Anyways. I actually do. I really do want more Jana material. Like, She's cool. I There's really, no potential for her. Yeah, like I think, I mean, obviously not everyone likes all of the reveals, all of the opening of yeah, quote unquote mystery boxes. If you want to talk about it in that yeah. way, but I think like meeting other for, um, first order stormtrooper deserters is like a very rich thing that could absolutely yeah. be explored a lot. And why haven't we gotten more Jana stuff? Yeah. I don't know. I mean. Same thing with Reva from the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. She's yeah. like a deserting inquisitor. Like, that's interesting. Anyway, where's her comic <clears throat> series? Where's her book? Why yeah. is she not in Jedi Survivor? Chop, chop, babes. <sighs> <laughs> okay, so this string, this um, horn, sorry, this brass ascending thing. I want to play that again. Um, Spy. Who? I don't know. It's after. So right here. So it's this. So this is a common scale form used in John Williams scores, and it's they're ascending in an, along an octatonic scale, which mean which is a scale that moves with alternating whole steps and half steps. So in this case, it's it's like B to C is a half step, and then C to D is a whole step, and then. D to E is a half step. So it's like half step, whole step, half step, whole step, half step. You know what I mean? And it's also moving in parallel motion in, you know, it's chords. So like parallel motion means they're moving by the same interval. They're moving the same distance at the same time. So The best way that I've set up to demonstrate this is I have, um, okay, I have a, I have um, this pedal that I can set the interval that I want my instrument to basically harmonize itself. So um, that's without it. So now if I just make it double, not double, but it's going to double my signal, but a minor third down. So you'll hear the parallel motion, also called planing. Um, Etc. So that's octatonic scale, um, moving two notes by the same distance at the same time. So my question is this yes. for this part. This is clearly foreshadowing, spoilers, I guess. This is clearly foreshadowing the fact that the spy is General Hux. Um, How? Cool, because they're saying they're like, oh, there's a new spy. Oh, sorry, I thought the, you meant like musically that it was well, like a the, nod. So, oh, okay. So that's my question. Is it a musical nod? I don't think General Hux has a sort of theme. Does the First Order have one? Um, or like, 
are there moments with Hux or moments when it is revealed that he is a spy that have a similar musical, that same scale or something of that mm, nature? That's a good question. I believe not. Um, I feel like it's just, I'll, ha- I'll pay more attention when I get there, but I th- it sounds to me like this is just a piece of incidental music that just fits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that was my thought. I was like, oh, now I'm going to have to listen for it because I don't know. Yeah. You know. Something to keep in the back of my mind now. Um, okay. Hawks being the spot. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> I I do love the I did love the idea of him just being a spurned lover and being like, <laughs> if I can't have him, nobody can. <laughs> that's basically what he does. It's yeah, that's true. Obs- I'm really obsessed with it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, he is obsessed with Kylo. That's very true. I'm, I love toxic gay people. Anyway, um, for, anybody, <laughs> for, for anybody who enjoys the anime Trigun, he's really giving Legato Blue Summers. Anyway. <laughs> There's a character named Legato? This is, this is anime. Of course his name is Legato Blue Summers. And yes, he has blue hair and pronouns. That's- also, he's the only <laughs> character with superpowers like, there are two characters who are not human in Trigon, um, and then there are characters who are, like, genetically modified. Legato just has powers he was born with that are never fucking explained. He has telekinesis where he could, he could just, he can control these, like, microfiber strings that can basically control how people move. Is it ever explained? No. And he has a single-minded obsession with the, with the, with the, the, um, the, the villain of the, of the anime, whose name, get ready... Okay, his name is Legato Blue Summers. Do you want to know who he's obsessed with? Yes. Millions Knives. <laughs> it's the best anime ever made. <laughs> Millions his name is Knives. Millions Knives. <laughs> Depends on the version. Sometimes it's Knives, sometimes it's Millions Knives, sometimes it's Knives Millions, sometimes it's just Nye. Um <laughs> Depends on the depends on the version, depends on whatever. But yeah, he's like so obsessed. He's like, I think humanity sucks and I think knives trying to kill everyone is a good thing. So I'm just gonna help him do it. And I'm fucking crazy. Um and I'm like, you really giving Hux vibes. You are really giving general Hux right now. Anybody listening to this is gonna be like, Claudia, this is such slander, but it's true. <laughs> it's very true. Um He's like he's like one he's he's so obsessed with him that in the manga it's a little fruity. Like there's other characters who are like, I know what you are anyway. <laughs> and that's exactly that's exactly how it is with Hux in my favorite piece of Star Wars media, um, the Lego Star Wars holiday special, <laughs> which is a, a piece of a piece of sequel media that you you cannot miss, especially for the dynamic between our, our characters. They basically also canonize. Is that the Kylux. one where they like? Is that the one where they like have the the party at the end on the Falcon? Um, the Christmas one, yes. Cause they have a Christmas one, a Halloween one, and then a summer vacation one. Um, and they're all quite fun. Um, but the the Kylo the <laughs> the canonizing Kylux in the Lego holiday special <laughs> is something I think about constantly. Um anyway, <laughs> I've taken you on a quite a journey. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Um, Oh, I'll, if if you want more crazy names of characters in in Trigun, there is also. Can I guess some? Car- I want to guess um, <laughs> Staccato. 
long beam. <laughs> okay, so you're there. Okay, no. However, <laughs> there is one guy named Mid Valley the Horn Freak. So, <laughs> and his his weapon is killing people with a saxophone. <laughs> I'm telling that you, checks it's out. One of the, that checks out. It's one yeah. of the best stories ever told. I like, I can't. It's so good. <laughs> um. Anyway, you're you're just like, wow. This is one of the best stories ever told. There is a guy named Mid Valley the Horn Freak, but we have to get past that. <laughs> um. I'm so sorry for traumatizing you with that. Um. Anyway, no trauma induced. <laughs> All right. Um, so. Obviously, we're hearing ties. They are new ties. They're tie whispers and tie something else. SF. No one is ever going to be the tie, the tie defender. To the tie elite defender. Sorry. Sorry to my man, Thrawn. Sorry, Thrawn. Yeah. So SF is special forces. Tie, space superiority tie fighter, also known as the special forces tie fighter. But anyway, they in creating the sound design for these tie fighters, they took the original formula, but just like kind of modified it. So I think in the interview that I mentioned, they discuss like the recipe is sort of like the elephant sound the elephant with like screeching car tires and so they like took an elephant but a different elephant and they maybe tried different animal sounds too so they took the recipe but modified it which you know makes complete sense of course um okay so what's happening now is they're about to be cooked emperor's theme We're about to be cooked! We're almost there! Oh, we got it! How do we thank you? March of the Resistance. So yeah, we hear the Emperor's theme when all of these TIE fighters are after them. That's such an interesting choice to me because, like, I guess it's because we just saw the Emperor. I'm like, you'd think they would do a variation on the Imperial March. Like, why the why the Emperor's theme? Um, I guess it's supposed to. I guess if you were to think of it narratively, it's because it's it's more about him than it is about the actual Empire because it's his final order and whatever, whatever. But I was like, like, it, especially in the original trilogy, but even I don't know when. Darth Sidious's theme is even used in the prequels. Um, but like they really use Sidious's theme very sparingly in general. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now they're they're just tossing that shit around. Like <laughs> um which yeah. is wild to me. Which makes sense for this movie. Also, the Emperor's theme does appear in The Last Jedi, actually. Oh, it does? When? Yeah. It is when um Snoke is um Basically, you'll give me like torturing Ray. So, like, it's really interesting to go back oh. to the Last Jedi and be like, in this torture scene with Snoke, the Emperor's theme is playing all along. Well, <laughs> John Williams, did you know? Girl, <laughs> right. did you know? Did you know, girly pop? Like, I have so many questions. It's just interesting, so isn't it? It's just interesting. Um, I also, as we get into this part about the light speed skipping, given what, given all all the things I know about uh, Chiss Skywalkers and also the entirety yeah. of the High Republic and the Nile, I'm like, yeah, I'm like somebody give Poe Dameron a Nile path engine quickly. 
Yeah. Yeah. Poe Dameron accidentally reinventing the Nile path engine is something that can be so personal. That's so true. It does really give that vibe. Yeah. The Mari Santeca-ification of Yeah, like where is the tortured, like... Yeah, where's the tortured, like, ancient person on that ship? I need to know. (laughs) Where are they keeping her? (laughs) Um... Read the High Republic if you don't know what, what we're talking about. Um, <laughs> the, the the woman in a pickle jar in the in the back of the Millennium Falcon. That could that's Lilio Primak, the singer <laughs> of Chicken in the Pot. Um, anyway, um, then we get our first instance of March of the Resistance, which is you know rather nice. It's nice to hear that theme again. It's like let's let's go. Oh, we got it. How do we thank you? Here we go. Yep. Now, if we want to hear that a little bit cleaner, let's turn to the For Your Consideration soundtrack. We Uh can hear it a little bit more cleanly. Here we go. So all of that music yeah. is is just is not on the OST. It's not on the like official soundtrack. So oh, gotcha. Yeah, because um, incidental stuff basically. Yeah. Well, I don't know exactly the reason, but I, knew, I know that soundtracks are usually finished before the movie movies. So if they were yeah. still going through, if they were still going through edits and stuff, stuff may have changed and not made it to mm-hmm. the soundtrack. I'm. I'm sure they did for this yeah. movie. <laughs> definitely, most definitely. It's also why um, in on the solo soundtrack, it's also why the chicken in the pot version is the high-pitched voice instead of the low-pitched voice because it was oh. going to be the high-pitched voice in the movie so it was sent off to the soundtrack. Like the album was already sent off. And then changing that chicken in the pot voice to the low-pitched voice was one of the last changes made in solo a Star Wars story movie. Shut so up. it just was too late to change the soundtrack. That's wild. Yeah. So, oh, this is a wild question. Um, my co-host Ollie noticed this um, when you watched. Have you finished the Mandalorian season three? Yeah. Um, when they are on when the episode where um, you have the scientist and the first order girl are on so the, when they're on Coruscant. <laughs> yeah, the the fascist lesbian. Yeah. Um, and you're like, no, we can't lose another one. Um, <laughs> um, when they are walking around and they're sightseeing on Coruscant and they go to... Yeah, they're playing March of the Resistance they're, as okay, source you music. No, you notice it too, especially mm-hmm. when, when they're visiting The Rock. And when they visit The Rock and me, a, a High Republic fan, was like, I know that one. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's Geode, yeah. No, no, oh, it's you're not, not Geode. Even- no, no, no! It's not Geode. It's um, like the well, the rock is like supposed supposed to be like the top of the last like natural feature mountain on oh. Coruscant that you can oh, touch, right. which they do mention, I believe, in Light of the Jedi the, for the okay, first okay. time. Um, I think a major scene with Lena So and some of the that happens there. They also mention it in Brotherhood as well. I think. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, I did read both of those. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I was like, I've read The High Republic. I know what that is. And then they started playing The March of the Resistance. And I was like. Two. Yeah. yeah that was an interesting <laughs> moment. Hello. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah. I'm not going to um, get into my thoughts on The Mandalorian season three. Um, <laughs> yeah. So March of the Resistance, A section. Um, win the war. And we continue with these. Um, we continue. We're, we're full on in the overwhelming part of this set of minutes now. We're, we're, we're in the thick of it as we the, continue. The, the fever dream, the acid trip. Yes, exactly. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I know. So Finn is at the gunner, in the gunner seat, and we're seeing sort of shots of Finn... Um, I'm putting an image on screen, you know, Finn's doing his thing, Poe's doing his thing, Chewie is like freaking out about Poe's poor flying technique. Um, yeah. Finn, you're supposed to be getting rid of those things! Ooh. I got one! How many are left? Uh, Rebel fanfare, very subtly. Oh, right. Yep. See? This is another. This, this reminds me. That part reminds me of Solo, a Star Wars story. More than yeah, anything. you're right. Well, especially when they're in hyperspace and they're trying to escape the, the thing and the yeah, um the maw, the the maw, and also the 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 tie fighters and the yeah. thing, uh-huh. the star destroyer coming exactly. at them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because they don't often fight in hyperspace in Star Wars. That's not a thing that usually is occurring. Like while they're in hyperspace. Correct. That would be, it's very hectic. Clearly. Yeah. Also, uh, somewhat impossible. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Lightspeed is sort of, um, okay, so the the Rebel fanfare is another example of planing, it's actually planing triads. So it's the same thing, it's a similar concept as before with parallel motion with, the notes are all moving at the same time. Um, it is very, like, this is very over, this is overwhelming um, for me, which is probably why it almost, like, washed over me in the theater. Like Yeah, same. Where at least it was only a couple minutes. And I have to say, like, a lot of the shows, they will take stuff like this and make it, like, 10 minutes but at least I understand what the fuck is going on. And this, for example, like, for, for example, like I said, I like, don't. the other thing was a reference yeah. before. Like, you know how in all of these movies they hinted at the fact that Finn is force sensitive and then never went through with it? Yeah. Um, this is another one of those because, like, having, like, Luke Skywalker at the gunner in the, in the Millennium Falcon and then obviously in his TIE fighter later doing the trench run with this music playing – and then, like, being able to target without basically basically by using the force is, like, that's, like, textbook, like, Luke using the force for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. And that's clearly what they're trying to reference with Finn a couple times because he does it in The Force Awakens as well. And he's just, like, mm-hmm. some guy. Um, but they're, like, we don't have time for that. Let's keep it pushing. And, like, you don't even see the shot that he makes. Like, you don't even see the targeting and the shot that he makes. They're playing the music. And you're like, wait, you mean here they're hinting that he's force sensitive? You think? I, I mean, I'm, I'm a truther, but yeah, uh, I mean, because like, when other, what other times do they do that? They do it in like I the trench runs with Luke. I think they do it a lot 
in this movie with Finn in other places, mainly. Case in point. But not in the in this scene. I'm not really getting that vibe. I don't know. I'm getting anyway, it majorly I'm a there. Later. No, no. I I I think Finn is force sensitive, and I think this movie, like, if anyone had any doubt that that was ever being hinted at, I think this movie really opens that. Like, as, like as he explicitly says it, like in his conversations with Jana, he's like, I don't know, yeah. just a feeling, just a feeling. Like Finn is definitely going all forcey in this here. Like he even he feels when Ray died. Like he feels. Things like this yeah. is when Finn starts. This is I, this movie is the beginning of Finn's force journey to me, and, and then and then we never get it ever again. It's fine. I'm cool. I he, hope we will. I'm still holding out hope. He he is one of my favorite Star Wars characters, so I feel bitter and angry constantly. Um, I try not to think about it, or else I get I get upset. I get upset. Um, but yeah, the. This part doing like all the the rebellion stuff, whatever. Like it's supposed to be a parallel of like, oh yeah, he's in the gunner. Like this very like a new hope, whatever. But it's I. The other piece of it also is like there's they're trying to establish the fact that they work really well together. They've mm. done stuff like this before. They're very practiced. They're bantering while they're whatever. You know, they're giving very ghost crew. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Situation. They really are. Harrison Dula would this. She could do this in her sleep. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Finn is very comfortable sitting there. Poe is very like, yeah. They've, you're, you're right. They've done this. They've done this before. Finn, you know, Finn, you're supposed to be getting rid of those things. And like, oh, I got one. I got one. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't. Definitely don't disagree with you. I just don't. I didn't pick up on any Luke Finn parallels here, but I could. I can see it as well. Also, it's interesting that you mentioned the trench run because toward the end of this set of minutes, and we'll really get to the climax in the next set of minutes, they are using the music from when the Death Star blows up in <laughs> A New Hope. So they, they really are just like, and we're doing every reference, and we're speed running. This is a Star Wars. It's the end of the Star <laughs> Wars. Let's go. <laughs> um, wait, let's continue listening. thinking, Chewie. Finn, we can boulder these times. I was just thinking that. They're on the same wavelength again. Surprise, surprise. I marriage. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my notes say lots of loud stuff. Here. <laughs> okay. Get us back to base. We haven't started light speed skipping yet. We're about to. March of the Resistance. Light speed skip one. You can like hear when they blast off into light speed, light speed hyperspace because it kind of goes like. Yeah, yeah. It's. It's very overwhelming. What are you doing? They're like, huh? Speed skipping. How do you know how to do that? <laughs> yeah, well, Ray's not here, is she? And then we're about to get Rebel fanfare. Last jump, maybe forever. Hold on. Yeah. So that's the beginning of. 
They, I mean, I'll just um, go back to the four-year consideration soundtrack. This is this would be track two of that, which is not a commercially available soundtrack. Sorry to say. Um, okay, let's see. It's about okay. Corresponds with one fifty-three of this soundtrack. Okay, so we'll hear this section without the dialogue and sound. So these are the or the orchestral hits that we're hearing. Frenetic strings. Last jump, maybe forever. And so this is this is the end of the minutes, but we'll hear that. Yeah. You can hear how it ends, and that's how the trench that's how blowing up the Death Star ends. Which is those oh, you're right. holst chords, the martial chords or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every time I listen to a John Williams score, I'm also a violinist. I'm reminded. I remember. He, 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 he hates us. He really does. He hates us and loves us. I, every time I look at a John Williams score, I'm like, oh, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, his, his music is notoriously really difficult. And You're like, I guess I'll just saw away and we'll see. We'll see. What we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> you know, put the it, mic it, on it, someone else. <laughs> a general vibe of just um, sawing away, and that'll be enough. <laughs> you know? Yeah, very often, his music does require sawing strings. In fact, in Frank Lehman's catalog, I'm sure he has like he probably has one of the incidental motifs called like something like sawing sawing string. I'm sure there's. It sounds like the name of something that would <gasps> exist. Um, oh yeah, Kylo Ren's sawing strings. That is a thing. So <laughs> another really reason cool. to hate Kylo Ren. <laughs> I see. I love when there are sawing strings. Now, would I like to be performing them if I haven't practiced it? Probably no. 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 It's a no from me. <laughs> <laughs> but John Williams knows how to work the orchestra. Gotta respect that. Um, the only other soundtrack I think it's not soundtrack. The only other score that I I feel like of his that probably hates strings more would probably be Harry Potter. I was I'm just like, gonna say Harry like, Potter. <laughs> that one of his I have played, and I'm just like, sir, I love you so much, but like, do you? Yeah, do you understand how much practice just this like ten seconds is gonna take? And you're like, King. Most people are not even going to hear most of these notes. They're always listening to the and a John listen, Williams score. They're, they're listening, always to, the listening brass. to the brass, <laughs> always. And the violins like, are just doing the thankless supporting with like the most difficult scales imaginable. You're like, um, you know what? It, we're going to get about five of these notes, and that's fine. I'm not. I'm not a brass player. It doesn't matter. But then the strings also get these like major romantic moments where they come yeah, save the day and like true. get to so it's like oh it's it's tough being a string player yeah. because you I mean, have they, you mix the glory yeah. with like the grit you, can, you have both yeah <laughs> i i usually play second violin and two and so you're like you are just fucking sawing away and then and then they're like all right wake up wake up it's time and you're like oh, shit yeah <laughs> um so i mean yeah i've probably some of his most famous probably would be of a, of a string spotlight would probably be like Han and Leia's theme, yeah, that 100%. kind of thing. Um, yeah. Hey, at least I'm not a brass player, am I right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I could do without it. I could do without a spit valve. I don't really want to have to deal with that, having that. Um, for that alone, for that reason alone. Um, yeah, no, there are quite a few like romantic theme themes, I guess, in this in this film where the strings do get to take over in like a classically romantic. Yeah. Not classically as in classical music, classically as in like a classic film in a yeah. classical romantic um, string getting to be in, indulgent and beautiful. Um, there are lots of those moments. And then there are also lots of moments where the strings are going and the brass are going. Bum, 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 bum. The strings are like. Um, yeah. What position am I in? Who knows? You're in all of them. You're just going up and down Who the knows? fingerboard. I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm, we're going to hope and pray. That's the t- position we're in today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have reached the end of the minutes. Oh my God, well we did done, it, Joe. Yes. I know. We did the, the light speed skipping. Oh, you know what? Maybe they don't have a, a pickled Mari Santaka in the back. Maybe they have a Chiss Skywalker instead. <laughs> I hope not. Leave them. <laughs> they belong with the chiss. <laughs> hey, Exegol is apparently like right next to It's in door, the outer so. reaches. Yeah, it's in the unknown regions. It's just a Poe Dameron skipping around them all being like, girl, who is that? <laughs> I think of that every time I see that fucking map. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I like to think that I like to think that the chiss regions are incorrectly placed there. Did someone just put them there because they're guessing, but they don't really know what I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Don't ruin that for me. Um, leave them alone. POV, um, you are Poe Dameron and you accidentally light speed skip to Planet X. No. Finn and Poe get leveled. No. Get out of there. No. Uh, anyway. Anyway. Um, do you have any like final sort of big picture or small picture details or thoughts about the set of minutes or the music and sound in this film? I I feel like I've said most of them. I feel like this is this is a wild portion to pick because I feel like this this represents a lot of uh, how I felt for the rest of the film where I was just like I remember just like white knuckling it holding on to the side of the the seat in the theater being like what the fuck is going on for the rest of the movie even the more calm parts being like oh um Mm -hmm. with all the reveals and all the kind of thing i feel like it set me up for being like this is gonna be the wildest star wars rodeo of your life um so i guess i guess it did its job then (laughs) well well, i guess it's representative of yeah in that sense. Yeah. I suppose I suppose the beginning this beginning is probably the most frenetic that the movie gets for me. Maybe some of the battle stuff at the end excluded, but for me when space battles are interspersed with stuff happening on the in the for stuff happening, it like definitely breaks it up in a positive way for me. Like same with like End of yeah. Return of the Jedi and yeah. you know any other any of the other many movies where there's sp- if it's just space battle, it's like hard for me to pay attention. But if it's like space Ooh. battle and some force stuff happening, then I, I then yeah. I'm in at least for the force stuff. And then yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna go over. Okay, the musical themes from this set of minutes were the Imperial March. 
Kylo Ren's A theme, which is dee 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 dee, dee and he has a few themes. Um, that's his aggressive theme. And then we also heard the Emperor's theme, March of the Resistance, A section, and the Rebel Fanfare. And then in the soundtrack, um, the beginning part of this set of minutes, you can hear that on Journey to Exegol, which is track two on the original soundtrack. And then if you have the four-year consideration sound album or you have found a way to stream it on YouTube, um, this is track two, Falcon Flight as well. Um, oh, it's on YouTube? Damn, how do people get it? Actually, oh, there's actually, there's a internet archived um, way to listen to the For Your Consideration soundtrack too. I can oh. put a link, yeah. Dang. Yeah. As long as that remains a, let's hope that that remains oh, God. a thing, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, as time passes, I'd have to just give increasing disclaimers of like, I'm sorry if there are uh, broken links about stuff. The internet, I don't, it's too, f- things move too fast to keep track of all the links. So, yeah. I'll try to give something current, but who knows if it'll be up to date by the time you listen to this. Um, yeah. So, this is your second time on the show. You've already done the Star Wars Music Minute questionnaire once. Are you ready to do it for a second time? And if yeah. so, do you want me to tell you your old answers before you give the new answers, or do you want to give the new answers first? Tell me my old answers, because I don't remember what I said. <laughs> cool. I blacked out. Um. Yeah, no. Totally understandable. Um, great. Okay. Question number one is, in exactly three words, what does Star Wars sound like? So, obviously, it's a very open to, it's a very open-ended question. You can think of it in terms of all of Star Wars, or you could be more specific. Last time you said poetic, epic, inspiring. Yeah, I would say I I would also I maybe I would replace one of those with hopeful cuz that's like the main theme of Star sure. Wars. And you can give it a completely new answer too. It's additive. Yeah. You're not you're not replacing your old answers. Yeah. I no, I feel like that it would be about the same, especially epic is like the giving it a grand scale, I think mm-hmm. is the is the is that one um and I also, I remember, I think I liked using the word poetic because, you know, George's always like, you know, it's like poetry, it rhymes, you know, that whole, yeah, that totally. whole shit. And it's always just John being like, and I'll bring this, this motif and I'll bring this one. And you're like, okay, thank you. Um, I'm spoiled now for our scores for anything else. Um, I <laughs> um, Yeah, I feel like I would probably maybe in place, replace inspiring with hopeful, but other than that, I think it would be the same. Sounds good. So poetic, epic, hopeful. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Question number two. What is something related to Star Wars music or sound in any tangential way that you are curious about, want to learn more about? Previously, you said the stories behind how various bits of music ended up in the films or shows. Like, how did that get there? See, yeah. I mean, we talked about some of the questions I had, like, when did John know certain things? Um, and I think since I asked that question, I remember asking the Kiner siblings and they did an AMA on Reddit about some of the choices that they made and why they did them and whatever, like including the Imperial March, like when uh, Anakin does certain things, whatever. I mean, in general, I find that fascinating. But then you brought up the whole sound design thing and I was like, 
oh, I want to know about every choice. I want to know. I want to know. Especially like, you know, oh, what things were chosen on purpose versus what things are just like, oh, they just did it that way. Not to say most things in filmmaking are on purpose, which is that's why I find it interesting. Um, but I, I always I always want to know, like, was there a reason behind a certain choice? Was there not? Did it just happen that way, et cetera? Um, I feel like it's the same, but probably more detailed. Yeah. And, like, particularly sound design oriented. Yeah, definitely. Are you more curious about, like, things like the – mixing and editing like why did you make the voices sound like this or is it more like why does the lightning sound like this uh I think it would just be more general of like uh like what specific creative choices like like did you make specific creative choices for certain things Mm -hmm. did those things come from the show creator or from a certain, you know, a certain producer or whatever, did that come from you? Like how much freedom did you have mm. um, doing this or doing that? Cause like some stuff is very like that comes from above and some stuff like they, they're making that stuff. Um, you know, and in, in, in Star Wars, especially it can be different than in the, how the, it works in the rest of film. So yeah, I feel like, I, yeah. And I think the other the other question would be like, what are the differences between when they make the TV shows and when they make the animated shows and when they've done the movies? Um, mm. I think that yeah. would be my biggest one. I'm really curious about that too. Like, what are the differences between the sound design processes on in various types of media? Yeah. Um, well, even not just the sound design, especially with the scores, because you're not just working with John Williams anymore. You're working with different. You're working with different composers at this point. Like. You have, you have various teams at this point. Um, I feel like my like because my favorite like Star Wars score story is the one about Michael Giacchino doing it for Rogue One and him having to do it in like zero yeah. time because yeah. they reshot half of Rogue One and him cranking that thing out. And um, I always wonder, like you know. And and but and that was it. And he was the first person to score a Star Wars movie that wasn't John Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, and boy, did he fucking deliver. Um, but uh, the Rogue One soundtrack, you are my bestie, girl. Um, but I, so yeah. I mean, I like. I'd love to know like stories like 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 have they had to change their techniques? Like how does has working with different people like because you know that there's people who've been there the whole time like they they mm-hmm. definitely have a lot of generational knowledge in that sense um because i know with star wars it's different than with other things a lot sometimes so that's actually one of my biggest curiosities like i always answer the star wars music i always answer the questionnaire myself on like the final episode of each season and i just wrapped up the last season and literally my answer was like I want to know what the Star Wars like sound style guide is like. Like I want yeah. to know like if there's if there are certain sounds and standards and just certain like ways that are just like the house style just for Star Wars and I particularly want to know which things are just for Star Wars that are kind of contrary to the way to the, the rest yeah. of the industry trends that's like really what I want to know like what is yeah. I want to know what is particularly particularly Star Wars according to the people who are making the Star Wars yeah I want to know what well, they think a Star Wars should sound like and especially because Skywalker sound works on so many things like 
you know, what are things that they set up for Star Wars that now they use on so many things. Because mm-hmm. um, I find that to be, I find that to be fascinating um, in how it's inspired other things. So the answer to your question, I apparently was many. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> many curiosities. Um, um, well, the third question is, what is a score or soundtrack that you're fond of besides anything Star Wars? What did I say last time? You said Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, composed by uh, Joe Hisayoshi. Oh, my! You, you mean my you mean my second favorite um, composer? Actually, him and John Williams. I always end up being my top two artists on Spotify every year. Nice. <laughs> um, but today I actually have a different answer, um, and that would be the soundtrack from Trigun Stampede. Yes, I will be talking about. Oh, Trigun nice. Again. We're coming. It's like poetry. It's like poetry rhymes. Um, specifically, um, if anybody knows me, all I do is talk about Trigun now. Um, another space western. Who could have thought? Oh, cool. Okay. Um, well, I have been really just fascinated um, learning about the making of this series because basically it is it is a reboot of the original, but it's basically an adaptation of the manga. Um, and it's because the original basically started coming out when the manga was like not even finished very similar to a lot of how anime works um but they're doing kind of a complete reimagining like with the with the original manga creator and they're making it more sci-fi feeling but still trying to keep that western vibe and so they and but also they did something very controversial which is that it is cg animation which is, can be some people love it some people hate it but they have been working on this technology to make it better for a while and it it looks fantastic and the music people have been like wow this is the music is amazing it's incredible um and Do you know who the composer is the composer is hold on give me a is second is it Tatsuya Kato it is hold on why am I and if I look it up are there two versions of it then there are two volumes um, oh, okay. of of the Trigun Stampede soundtrack. Um, but, but it's not a re it's it's a reboot or no? Or like it's an adaptation. It, oh, it's an adaptation of manga, but it's never been a show before. It there are two there's okay, I'll explain. There are two Trigun anime. <laughs> um there's the original Trigun that like most people know that they watched on Adult Swim. Um, okay. Which also has great music. Um, I could probably talk about that a bunch. Um, very stylistically um, distinct. Um, all, there's a lot of jazz in it, whatever. It's it's much like Cowboy Bebop, like very stylistically, very like distinct. Like it had, like people love it for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they were doing, but, um, and it's a great series. Love it very much. Um, and it somehow kind of came up with the same themes or whatever that the original manga ended up doing. The original manga didn't finish until like 2007 and this ended like, I don't know when the original, the original manga started in, the original anime started in like 1998 and then, and it was only like 26 episodes. Um, And so the, they were like, oh, let's, let's adapt the, the whole manga is much more sci-fi than, it's a very big combination of the two, um, and also space western is a bit of a risk in anime because not in Japan people don't like it as much. But Trigun is really popular in the West, um, has been whatever, and so they took a really big risk making it CG. But they're like, and we want to lean into the sci-fi elements more, and they decided to do a really um, both for the um, for the production design, but also for um, 
the the music itself and the music is like again and kind of and again the music is <laughs> the music is very um the music is very cinematic um which is not always the case even for your like your big like adventure anime whatever there are moments that are but they're still very tv this whole thing it it feels like the the first season is 12 episodes it feels like a, a movie whatever and and you know it does it has there is a motif for every character um it has just it has a lot of interesting stuff to analyze like there are fans picking it apart as we speak like it's it's so and they they took tiny little things from the manga and put them not only into the show but put them into the music like hmm. um the two main characters who are well the main character's name is is Vash the Stampede and the villain is his brother Knives <laughs> who I mentioned earlier right. and they're they are twin brothers and there's a small tiny tiny panel in the manga where they are playing the piano and they took that and they blew it up into a whole thing a whole thing to characterize them to characterize the decay of their relationship over time um and then made not and then made basically knives' theme be this solitary piano and like they play the piano together and then they have different themes that they play on top of each other. it's it's so if you it's so fascinating you're like you're like what like so they have them like them playing together and then basically you watch him as he grows up learn his brother's part and play both of them at the same time and when he's lonely he's only playing his part and there and there's there's like basically the music is extremely a part of the storytelling and it's just it is just phenomenal i could talk about it all day i need to look up who the who the um the composer is and also i think one of the producers of the show talked about how they did the scoring and i want to say they did it the way people do film scoring not the way they usually do anime scoring which is oh, why it feels different um oh. i'm really on. interested in that kind of thing about the processes yeah oh, i'm Definitely interested in that. Um, and anyways. I love when a, I love when a sh- when the music is like part of is really important to the show. Yeah, and and I would say, and or like, like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, God, they did a great job. The, and or score, and or score. Um, anyways, I could talk about I could talk about the. The, also with the with the Trigon Stampede soundtrack, also like a big piece is also that like they are in space, they are on a ship, and then they crash on this planet, and that's like the, that's the difference between like the space part and then like the Western part, and so they like sonically try to make them so 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 different. Um, mm. And so like the beginning is like big, like grand, um, like clearly there are re- it, there's visual reference to Star Wars in the first like uh, in the first like shots. All these kinds of stuff. It's very like, it's like the first track is called like Immigrant Space Explorer. Like that's a whole thing. And then when they're on the planet, it sounds completely different because they have crashed onto the planet and it's a completely different thing. And you're like, oh, it's so. All right, you have to you have to shut me up about it, or else I'll oh. never I'll never stop. Um, well, I, I I I will I'm. Yeah, thank you for introducing me to that and and listeners. I'm sure someone will definitely be interested in that. And I'll put the composer and stuff in the show notes. I I looked it up and if I'm pretty sure it's Tatsuya Kato. 
Um, I, I believe so. Yeah. Um, I have to look at I, – I believe he worked on some of Studio Orange's other stuff. He probably worked on Beastars, but I got to check. Okay, um, okay. Yeah, so it is the Studio Orange um, thing. Yeah, he, he's done Future Diary, girl. Food Wars. Um, yeah, he's done a lot of stuff. Cool. Well. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, no, yeah, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't done – oh, he did Free. For the girlies who are anime, he did free. <laughs> um, the swimming anime. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um, but yeah, he did not do Beastars. Sorry. I'm, I am, I am lying to the girlies, um, but. Uh, you've, but you've corrected it. It's okay. I've corrected it, and that's what matters. You set the Anyways. record straight. Yeah. Um, Claudia, where can people find your, you and all of your stuff online? Yeah, um, so I'm one of the co-hosts of RuPalp's Pod Race. Um, that is R-U-P-A-L-P-S Pod Race. Mm-hmm. Um, we are on all of the podcast platforms. We talk about basically the latest things that are coming out. We talk a lot about the High Republic. Um, our next episode, oh, actually, when is this going to come out? I don't want to. I don't want to lie to people. Um, I'm not sure. So okay, In so a few I will weeks, say. You can cut that. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but basically, um, we're five gay people that talk about Star Wars. Um, we basically, we, t- we like to talk about it from a critical perspective for the first half. And then we play very stupid games for the rest of the rest of the time. And it, it's, it's insane. It's crazy. It's bonkers. Um, but people seem to like it. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary and 100,000 downloads. So Congrats. That's awesome. Cra- crazy time. Um, I am also the co-host of a Supernatural Rewatch podcast. Um, it is called the Mystery Spot Cast, also found on any platform, um, where one of my RuPaul's co-hosts and I, Ollie, we force ourselves to rewatch all of Supernatural, and then we just recap it and tell you what happened so you won't watch the show. So you don't have to know anything about Supernatural. We'll just tell you. We'll just tell you because it's a bad show that we don't think people should watch. But unfortunately, it has a large cultural footprint, and people keep going to watch it, and we're like, please don't. It's not worth your time. Don't make our mistake. We'll we'll take we'll take the L once again for you. Um, we're doing it for your entertainment. Um, it's a good time. It's it's wild. Um, and uh, we are back from our previous hiatus, so we're we're trucking along. We're already on season three, um, at least at the time of this recording. Um, and uh, and yeah, I'm on all of the social media at Kaludia says K A L. U-D-I-A says it is misspelled purposely. Um, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, mostly I do talk about Star Wars a lot. There are a lot of Trigon tweets. (laughs) (laughs) Apologies. (laughs) Um, But here's the thing. If I get everyone to watch Trigon Stampede, then I win. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Well, thank you for um, coming on the show. Always thank you fun for to talk to you. Me. Yeah, we only did like two Thrawn references, so I'm very proud of us. Um, wow, we did it, Joe. We really did. <laughs> yeah, we, did. we talked yeah. about the Chiss ascendancy. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Surprising restraint. Um, yeah. Well, listeners, you can find Star Wars Music Minute online and on. 
all of the podcasting platforms as well. And also on YouTube, you can send me an email if you have like a really detailed question that you can't convey in a tweet or something. Um, and if you want to join more in-depth conversations, I will put a link in my description of how to join my Discord server. And yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about minutes 11 through 15 of The Rise of Skywalker. May the Force be with you, and thank you for listening to Star Wars Music Minute.